This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. Don't miss the new docuseries Black Twitter, a people's history. From memes to movements, see how this powerful online community shapes culture and society. Black Twitter, a people's history, is now streaming on Hulu. Starfield is one of the biggest and most anticipated video game releases of the year. It is a massive open-world game set in humanity's future when we've settled on star systems throughout the galaxy. There's over 1,000 planets to explore, multiple factions to join, enemies to combat, companions to flirt with, spaceships to pilot, and quests to go on, but does the game live up to the advanced hype? I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Starfield on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Progressive Insurance. You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options within your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom understands that not everyone is starting from the same place and takes that into account. With their first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, you can find a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Noom. Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, helps you build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. Check out The Noom Kitchen for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Hey, I hear you have a birthday coming up. Yeah, you. If you're listening to this, that means you have a birthday coming up eventually. And here at LifeKit, we want it to be a special one. Magic can happen and good luck can happen and serendipity can happen if we're open to it. How to have a good birthday, even if you're not a birthday person. That's on the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Joining me today is one of the hosts of a little startup show called NPR's All Things Considered and the Considered This Podcast, Wana Summers. Hey, Wana. Hey, Glenn. Welcome, welcome. Also with us is Swapna Krishna. She's a freelance space and science writer and also wrote a great review of Starfield for the NPR website. Welcome to the show, Swapna. Thank you. Let's get into it. So Starfield is an open world, I guess we should say open worlds, role-playing game from the company known for making them, Bethesda Game Studios. They're the creators of such hugely popular games as Fallout and the Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. In Starfield, your character comes outfitted with certain characteristics he chooses before playing and quickly gets caught up in the search for mysterious alien artifacts strewn across the galaxy. As you search for these artifacts and explore their origins, you go about your life in the 24th century, hopping from planet to planet, earning credits, either avoiding violent conflict or diving headfirst into it. You can be a space cop or a space pirate. You can smuggle contraband or go on missions of mercy. It's all up to you, and the choices you make matter. They change the game in ways big and small. There's a lot riding on Starfield for Bethesda. It's a massive game, and the company's first one set in an entirely new universe in 25 years. It's also the first major exclusive for the Xbox since Microsoft purchased Bethesda's parent company in 2021. Sales have been great, but reviews have been mixed. 
praising the game's scope and ambition, but expressing some frustration with the story and gameplay. And we'll be talking about some of those details. If you want to go in fully unspoiled, maybe save it for after you've played a bit. Starfield is available now for Xbox Series S and X and for the PC. Want to kick us off? What do you think? I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing that excited me about Starfield when I started hearing all of the hype, and I mean, we should just point out, this game has been in development and kind of an inkling in the mind of Bethesda's Todd Howard for a decade was the idea of creating this super expansive world. I am not a person who has played a ton of Bethesda games before, but for me, that idea of ambitious storytelling, of creating this open world and against the palette of space, which is so infinite. I found super attractive. Mm -hmm. The thing that I kept telling people when I first picked up the game was that it is the most beautiful video game I've ever played. Like, Uh it is stunning. It takes you there. It's easy to get lost. Some of the mechanics, though, were a little bit challenging for me as a person who does not play this type of game very often. So, like you said, Glenn, a little bit of a mixed bag, but generally, I don't know. I feel like I drank the Kool-Aid. Okay. Kool-Aid drinker. Swapna, how about you? Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with this game. Uh Um, I have played Bethesda games. I've played Skyrim. I've played a little bit of Fallout. Mm -hmm. And so this is very much a Bethesda game. Like, if you know what a Bethesda RPG is, then you know exactly the fundamental mechanics of this game. For me, I absolutely loved a lot of what Wano was saying about the beauty of the game, the scope of it. And as a space and science journalist who has this like diehard love of NASA, of space history, there's a real, very cool thread of that running through the game that I absolutely loved an homage to this old space stuff that like really made my heart flutter. But also I am just tired. This game just... (laughs) The scope of it makes me so just like you land in a new settlement and you're either going to feel like really excited for everything to explore or like, oh, my God, how many people do I have to talk to to like figure out the quests? Mm -hmm. This is the next like four hours of my life. So a little Uh bit of a love hate relationship here. Yeah, I get that. I totally get what both of you are saying about the ambition, about the scope, but also about the mechanics. I do enjoy this game. I have sunk 72 hours into it. I have gotten married. I have got the quote-unquote, best ship in the game. I was testing out one aspect of the game, which we might talk to, one of the powers you get eventually, uh, just on a street, and I caused some damage and I was arrested, and suddenly now I'm an undercover pirate. (laughs) So there is a disconnect, though, between the promise of this game and its execution. Yes, as you both said, it's about exploration. It's about just pointing your spaceship at a distant star and then setting down on a planet. Limitless possibility. Yeah. Again and again for me, though, the limitless possibility of the game became pointing your ship at a distant star, navigating a series of (laughs) menus involving fuel consumption and landing sites. And then when you land on this planet, this brand new planet, you are trekking across barren landscapes for thousands of meters. And we should say, just so people know, you do have to trek in this game. There are no vehicles. There are no space horses. There are no tauntauns. So the creators have said that's very intentional. They want you to feel the immensity. They want you to get completely, you know, enveloped and enraptured and, and experience that. And hey, I did. But, you know, sometimes the mysterious object I would find on my map turned out to be an ice crystal. That's hard. To <laughs> it was hard to justify the journey. 
But it's about the journey, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a game about the journey. It's a game about choices. Mm -hmm. But I think that the thing you mentioned, Glenn, that really jumped out to me was the idea of having to navigate through these endless menus to make those choices or to engage in combat or to do the thing that you need to do to fulfill a quest. That's the thing that kind of killed parts of the immersion for me. Like if you're actually immersing yourself in this kind of space epic adventure galaxy You're not going to have to, like, toggle out to go click on a menu. And that just – some of that did kill it for me. I find the game satisfying. I'm still playing. I have not sunk 72 hours into it quite yet. (laughs) That definitely, I think, made the experience a little less rich than I think it could have been if Bethesda had made some different choices about how to put it together. Swap, now let me ask you a question real quick. So this appeals to you, right? Because Lord knows it's accurate. Because – In truth, space exploration isn't just pointing your ship at a distant star and staring to it. It's all about technical specs. It's all about navigating menus, right? So there is some verisimilitude here, at least some. Here's the thing. Space exploration is actually pretty boring. (laughs) You don't know what you're going to find. In sci-fi, it sounds really cool because you always find something at the end of whatever journey you're on. You always find something because that's sci-fi. But actual space exploration is kind of boring. If you think about like our rovers on Mars, you know, it's all robotic, but like it's nine months to get to the red planet. And then they're like driving around looking at rocks. Uh (laughs) I find it super exciting because there are rocks on another planet. But for most people, one of the questions I get so much about this new space telescope, JWST, finding all these elements and stuff in exoplanet atmospheres is like, does this matter? Well, yeah, but, you know, no, it's the same. Like, it's it's not significant in the way people want it to be significant. It matters because it's a cool new discovery that can further our knowledge and understanding. But space exploration is actually, it's very incremental. It's boring. So in some ways, I think this captures that really, really well. But also, that's not how you necessarily want to spend your time in a game. Well, Juana, what do you think about that? I mean, sometimes when I was scanning an element, I was like, why am I scanning this element? What is this? What? So, oh, lead. I have found lead. Okay, I have to confess, maybe I'm a nerd. I don't, no, I definitely am a nerd. I actually really enjoyed that part of the game. Okay. The going through, the cataloging, the scanning, the figure out what is out there just because I I think it's what you were talking about. I think it's that promise of not knowing what you're going to find and what could be out there. And sometimes it's lead, but sometimes it's something you've never seen before. So I did find that part of the game attractive. And I think it's also just because I really appreciated like the fine kind of attention to detail that those kinds of scans showed that like they've built this entire new IP, the first one in 25 years, like you mentioned, Glenn, Mm -hmm. and they've thought it down to that small of a detail. So like as a person who tells stories for a living, Mm -hmm. that part of it really worked really well for me, even if it was a little tedious and there was like four hours of doing that scanning and cataloging and scanning and cataloging and so on. Well, that's the thing, because even though this is a brand new world or universe, basically, uh, solar system anyway, or galaxy, I suppose. In execution, this game is built on the same engine that Fallout and Skyrim were built on. So the actual interface, the interaction you have with other characters and enemies feels very familiar if you played a lot of um, Bethesda games. But that's a two-edged sword, right? Because while it's nice to kind of get your head around the interface and know the infrastructure of a game... That's good because theoretically you don't spend a lot of time flailing about at the beginning. But ultimately this this felt so familiar that I don't know if it's the game changer it wants to be. Apart from the scope, this doesn't feel like we're at the bleeding edge of gaming, but maybe it doesn't need to be. What do you guys think? I agree. I I found aspects of it tedious. As a person who goes around and picks up everything I can, Bethesda's inventory systems – 
drive me up a wall because I have like 85 foam cups. I'm like tiptoeing because I have so much stuff and I'm like, I just need to unload all this. And the game is not stingy with like credits and money. No, that's true. You accumulate stuff fast, but always when I play a Bethesda game, I have to like retrain my mind to be like, you don't need to pick up everything you see. You don't need to pick up every weapon you see. Mm -hmm. This is a game that I would argue Xbox needs a hit. And this is a game that kind of needs to be a hit. And is that the best way if you're trying to appeal to a mass audience, which I would argue this game is, like having these like very intricate and frustrating for somebody, a self-professed casual Mm -hmm. gamer inventory system, is that smart? For a game like this, that I mean, that would be my question. I think for me as someone who plays a good number of video games but does not play a ton of Bethesda games, I didn't actually find it super daunting or frustrating the way I know that a lot of reviewers and a lot of people have played this game did. I found it clunky, but yeah. I didn't find it super frustrating. But I think the thing that really jumps out at me here is the, the idea that Xbox really needed a hit here. And when our team at, a- at All Things Considered talked to Todd Howard about this, he's the Bethesda director, and he even mm-hmm. said himself, you know, he felt pressure that they needed to deliver a game for Microsoft after this acquisition yeah. for Xbox. And then it led to a series of questions about like, okay, so where does that pressure show up? And perhaps this is one example of where that bind shows for them. That's interesting because when I was encountering those old familiar Bethesda dialogue trees, and for listeners, a dialogue tree is you speak to a character, the character speaks to you, and you're given an options uh, of what to say back. It's Bethesda, right? So the options you're given, you can either be a completely milk toasty goody two shoes try hard or a complete a hole <laughs> there's not a lot of daylight between those options often i i mean i did not exactly spread my wings when i created my character i played as a bald beardy introverted atheist goody two shoes hmm. there were so many times when i wanted to pick the option where you just tell somebody to go pound space sand buddy i just want my money i never played like that how did you guys play i'm similar it gives me anxiety to play like as an a-hole, it just, it gives me, yeah, I get right. really anxious. And so I always play as the goody two-shoes and I, it annoys me because I want there to be a little exactly. more options. I want there to be a little more subtlety. I want there to be a little more than like flirt, flirt, flirt. Okay, let's get married. <laughs> yeah. Like I want a little more of the in-between and I feel like we should be at the point where that is possible and an option in like a game like this and it's not and that is a little bit frustrating. Yeah, I mean I played kind of some of the same way. I tried to play like as close to a pacifist as one can possibly be in a game like this sure. and really trying to steer myself towards the exploration using my powers for good not for evil mode as I could, which for anyone who knows me knows that is incredibly on brand. <laughs> <laughs> How are you guys at the combat? There's two kinds of combat here. There's the uh ground combat where you make your way through some incredibly weirdly designed space outposts, knocking off enemies. The architecture in the future is not intuitive. Just Let me just put it that way. It's not, there's no feng shui <laughs> in the future. Again and again, I found myself thinking, why put a staircase here? And then you often have to retrace your steps while things are blowing up and robots are coming after you. Uh, so ground combat for me involved burning through lots and lots of ammo and med kits. I eventually did get the hang of it. How was it for you guys? I mean, I'm a self-professed casual gamer. I play on easy. I started out on easy, dropped down to very easy pretty fast. <laughs> it gave me a chance to get it really get a sense of those mechanics. And then I I stepped it back up after a while because it was a little too easy. Right. Um, I think that's great for people who don't, really like mastering combat like I think it's great that you can make it that easy 
it felt pretty straightforward um, in terms of the combat. I did like the ship combat and the being able to dial up your shields, dial down your weapons power and kind of balance your engines and like, okay, I'm going to go. I want to get away from these people really fast. I really did actually like that. And I'm not somebody who usually loves piloting a ship in a game. So I will say like that, I was impressed with that. Yeah. What you're talking about there uh, is the ship combat, the space combat where you can pilot your ship and kind of determine uh, your systems and how much power your shields have and how much power your weapons have. What'd you think, Juana? Oh, that was the part that drove me absolutely crazy during this entire (laughs) game. I really enjoyed the ground combat. I found that very intuitive compared to other games that I played once I got the weapons that I liked. It turns out I'm a pretty good sniper, if anybody would care to know. Good to know. The ship combat, however, I did not find intuitive at all. I felt like, especially in the early days of playing this game, before I got a sense for it, I was constantly spinning myself up and down. I had trouble tracking the ships that I was supposed to battle. Mm -hmm. Like, you've got to figure it all out for yourself. No one is holding your hands to figure out how to deal with these mechanisms. And that just took me... I mean, we're playing it early without the benefit of having other people to talk to who were also playing it. It just took me too long. And frankly, it felt really, it was beautiful, but I was also really frustrated until I could figure out, okay, this is what I need to do to lock on. This is the button I need to hit to shoot missiles. This is what I need to do to jump quickly. It did not work for me. That is, you know what I missed in this game is something that all other games have that I never use, but I really needed here, which was a menu system of some kind, which would just go over the basics, just the tutorial, right? Yes. There is so much to do. I didn't always know why something was worth doing, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the world of this game and the story? The world of the game is not the story of the game, right? The world is just the setting. And as impressive as this setting is, the story itself, I mean, it is doing... The setting is doing what science fiction does. It comments on our current situation. There are certainly have and have nots in this universe. There are class divides. There are people who are exploiting and people who are exploited. Yeah. The story, however, doesn't stray too far from a chosen one magic power storyline where, you know, you are somehow so important to the whole of humanity stuff. Juana, what'd you make of that? I mean, I think for me, as I mentioned earlier, we sat down with some of the folks from Bethesda and talked about some of these big existential questions that the game teases out about where does the universe come from? What is our place in it? What control do you have over your own destiny? How do you feel about the choices that you're making in your life? And that's part of the game that really did work well for me. Those kind of things are things that I'm just attracted to in other forms of creative work and books and movies and the music I listen to. So I really enjoyed that. It is not necessarily like, look, I don't think that the main quest in the way that you experience it, it's not the most original story of all time. Mm -hmm. But I did find it compelling. And I especially found some of the details and the ways in which they encourage you as the player to grapple with those existential questions, I thought was really interesting. One of the things I loved also was the way they handled religion in this game, which I don't know if you want to get into later, but that was one of my favorite things here. Sure. I agree in that I didn't think it was handled very originally. I will say I didn't find it so compelling. I couldn't help in my head but compare it all the time to the story of Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. If I had to pick like my favorite video game like franchise of all time, it's the Mass Effect trilogy. And I feel like that, they did the Chosen One story a little bit so well in that. And I don't feel this was as well done. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't driven to follow the course of the story. I played the game a little more broadly versus like zeroing in on the story and figuring out where it went because it just didn't really compel me. And that's rare for my type of 
way I usually play games. Well, let me ask you both. There is in this game a mechanic that kind of comes in a little bit later where you get basically, for lack of a better term, let's call them magic powers. Uh, Swapna, I gather that for your hard science brain, that kind of hand-waving, literally hand-waving because you do hand wave your hands, um, in this game kind of kind of felt like it was not living up to the promise it made. Yes, that takes it out of sci-fi for me and puts it in space opera. And that's fine. That's fine. Like, I love Star Wars, but Star Wars is not science fiction. It's fantasy set in space. Setting something in space doesn't make it sci-fi. Sci-fi is that there's always a scientific explanation. And yeah, you know, it's alien stuff. I get it. But it's also, it felt like magic and Mm -hmm. didn't love that. Juana, how about that magic, spirituality, religion aspect of the game? Did it it appeal to you? So, interestingly, I found personally it did appeal to me. I do not have a particularly hard science brain. I found it fun, though not necessarily believable. Like, I understand that, like, that is not a thing that is likely to happen no matter where, like, our society goes with space exploration. That's not a thing. But what I find interesting about what didn't appeal to it for Swapna is this is exactly what the Bethesda guys were telling us they didn't want to have happen, right? The art director, Istvan Pelli, literally told us that science fiction without rules becomes fantasy, mm-hmm. and they wanted this game to feel believable. And so it sounds like by that virtue, perhaps for some people, they didn't live up to the task there. They didn't want this to feel completely out of this world and extraterrestrial and unbelievable. I thought it was fun, but perhaps not believable, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for me, I love that kind of stuff. Give me, give me space wizards with uh, laser swords. Love it. I don't like the hard, like the the hard sci-fi stuff. So I was really looking forward to it. As soon as that mechanic revealed itself, I didn't end up using it that much though, because it, the actual powers you get are pretty weak sauce. I mean, they're like they're, they're gravity. <laughs> you can make a rock float, and that's like not <laughs> doesn't come up for me very much in the game. So yeah, that was that was an interesting kind of. Uh, catch 22 there. Mm-hmm. So one of you mentioned the religion aspect of this game. You can play as an atheist. You can play as somebody who believes that God is out there waiting for us in the stars. What'd you do? And what do you think of the religious aspect of this game? Um, so I really love this. For people who don't know, I grew up in the church and went to religiously educated school. So I'm always interested in how works of fiction of any kind approach religion. And this game kind of creates those these two religions, one of which believes that space travel can bring you closer to God. And one of the details I love about it is the fact that there's actually fairly deep doctrine in this game that's created. And one of the coolest details that I picked up from our trip to Bethesda is the fact that they actually had a former game designer who was studying to be a Jesuit priest write some of the doctrine for the Sanctum Universum to make the theological writing feel fleshed out and interesting. So when I kind of started going down that path, that felt really rich and rewarding to me and like a good example of how you can tell this kind of story with a lot of depth. And I don't know, at least for me in the games that I've played, I've never really played a game that has explored religion in that way before. Mm-hmm. It really it really worked for me. I did not play either of the religion, mm-hmm. you know, subplots. But that being said, I engaged with the characters. I just didn't commit to anything. And I'm really glad that exists in a video game. Because like Juana said, like, that is not something that gets explored, especially in sci-fi. Yeah. Like, especially in a sci-fi video games, a lot of the religious people seem kind of pushed to the side as maybe a little kooky. Mm-hmm. And I'm really glad that it took it seriously because it gives people who – are religious a chance to be seen in the future. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. What I liked about the way this 
game treated uh, atheism is that it, the characters I met who were part of the, what's called the enlightened, which sounds a little condescending, but that's, that's atheist for you. They're altruists, basically. They, they seek to help others. You don't often see that side depicted. I also like the fact that while the Sanctum Universum had like these amazing, very fancy uh, buildings and royal robes and everything, the, the atheists, uh, their whole office was in a sub-basement of a sub-basement and they <laughs> visible ductwork. And I thought, yeah, that checks out. <laughs> Well, I mean, we're grappling with this game, right? I think we all really like it. We're all you know, investing serious time and effort into it. We have our caveats, and so that's, of course, what we talked about, what we focused on here. But no, this is a this is a really interesting, uh, very ambitious game that I think is worth your time. Yeah. Well, we want to know what you think about Starfield. Find us at facebook.com slash PCHH. That brings us to the end of our show. Wana Summers, Swapna Krishna, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to PCHH. Thank you. Thank you. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support of NPR. If you haven't signed up yet and you want to show your support and listen to the show without a single sponsor break, head over to plus.npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Hafsa Fatima and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Hello Come In provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon and we'll see you all tomorrow. On NPR's Throughline. We cannot function for 24 hours without COBOL because it's in our smartphone, our tablet, our laptop. And as a consequence, the lives of the people living in that part of the Congo descended into just a catastrophe. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute where hundreds of researchers and clinicians make new discoveries inspired by the work of previous Dana-Farber scientists. See why nothing is as effective against cancer as a relentless succession of breakthroughs. Learn more about their momentum. Go to DanaFarber.org slash everywhere.